Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, please turn with me in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the values in God's kingdom. And children, I wanted to start off uh, quizzing you, rem- seeing who remembers the two Beatitudes that we have already considered. This might test you. Who remembers the two Beatitudes that we've considered already? You may have opened your Bible, that might help. <laughs> so hands up. Yes, yep. Well done, okay. And the last one, yes? And who remembers what happens? Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Yes, well done. Good, good memory. So I encourage you, the rest of you, to keep reading through these Beatitudes and uh, see how we get on next time. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Listen, this is God's word. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, this past week in California, the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, met. and This forum exists to facilitate trade and investment and economic growth and regional cooperation in Asia and in the Pacific. And each of these countries are meeting to maximize their interests to gain greater world domination by increasing their power and their profitability. In the Middle East, you have militant Islam, whether it's Hamas or Hezbollah or Iran, seeking to remove Israel by the use of violence and so dominate that part of the world, as well as major cities all across Europe and North America. Then you have less obvious world domination happening by BlackRock or JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs. These financial uh, organizations, they control many of the world's government's agendas by insisting on ESG, and it stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance, a framework used to assess an organization's business practice and performance on these various sustainability and ethical issues. Or is world domination being achieved by something much more secretive? A one world government, the Illuminati, the Davos Convention, some other elitist group 
Are they the ones who will achieve world domination? At times it may feel that way. We are simply pawns in their hands. But the Bible tells us how world domination is going to be achieved. And Jesus tells us who is going to take over the earth. And it's the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is making another shocking statement. A statement that was shocking in his day, and it seems far from reality in our day. And so I want you to notice you know blessing when you have a true view of yourself, seeing yourself as both undeserving by, from God and man, but in the end you will inherit the earth. And that's because Christ is a true man of meekness. And so children, I encourage you to draw a picture of someone who is meek, a meek person who is someone who is strong, and yet they are also gentle. So firstly, let's consider, remember that Jesus is Lord of this earth. So we are inundated with this idea that it's survival of the fittest, that only the strong survive, the winner takes them all, that this is a dog-eat-dog world where the strong eats the weak, that fortune favors the brave. Now, in some senses, in the short term, this may be true, but the Bible tells us that in the long term, that for all eternity, only one type of person will triumph. They will have control of the whole earth, and it's the meek. And why does this beatitude seem so far from reality? Well, we often think that it is the rich that causes the world to go round, that it's the powerful who are making all the decisions. We idolize the superhero, the John Wayne, the 007. We see this as strength in our eyes. In this world, you're taught you have to be confident, that you have to stand up for yourself. Don't let anyone hold you back. And jokes have been made about this beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, assuming that's okay with the rest of you. And this joke is made because meekness is seen as weakness, and that the strong will overcome the weak. But the actual reality is that Christ is Lord of this earth. He is the creator. He is sovereign over everything that happens. He is sustaining this world. And so when he says the meek will inherit the earth, that is the case. Dugan says here Jesus is challenging us to envy the meek. In other words, he wants to reshape our thinking about strength and weakness and then have that reshaped thinking affect the way we live our lives. We struggle with this beatitude because of our pride. We don't like to think that the meek will inherit the earth because deep within us, we say we deserve it, that I'm better than others, I'm more worthy, or I'm more successful. And even if we're not better than others in terms of our achievements or our creativity or our morality or our athletics, we often wish that we were better. And we like to imagine ourselves with these abilities and we're jealous of those who have it. And again, this is a form of pride. Dodson says, strong pride gloats in ability, but weak pride wallows in inability. But the reality that Jesus is Lord of this earth helps you to realize that it's not about you. 
That is about him. And so you are to be meek. There's no room for pride. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we spend the whole of our lives watching ourselves. But when a man becomes meek, he is finished with all of that. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we see there is nothing worth defending. So when you realize that Jesus is Lord of this earth, you will look beyond yourself. So secondly, you're meek before God. Meekness naturally follows from the first two Beatitudes. First Beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a recognition of your spiritual bankruptcy, that you have nothing to offer to God. The second Beatitude is what you do have, and that is your sinfulness, and you are to mourn over your sin. You are to be upset over it, and this sorrow leads to repentance. Well, this progresses to the third Beatitude, which is that of meekness, also known as gentleness. These words are used interchangeably in the Bible. And this is a virtue that you have as a result of these first two Beatitudes. Gentleness or meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. And so God is working in you to produce this fruit. And so it doesn't come naturally. We often think of a meek person as one who is shy or one who lacks confidence, one who is indecisive, as being passive. No, that's not a correct understanding of meekness. Meekness is supernatural. It comes from God. It's when God opens your eyes for you to see your sinfulness, for you to be honest before him about yourself, that you recognize that you are not deserving of God's grace. You're comfortable being humble before God. Do good rights to be meek. We have to know who we really are and then live on the basis of that knowledge. And this meekness, therefore, is evident in how we submit ourselves before God. So a meek person is one who easily submits, for you recognize that God owes you nothing. And so do you find it easy to submit to God, or do you think that you know better than God? This is especially seen in God's word. Are you able to submit and obey God's law? Or are you quicker at coming up with excuses as to why that law no longer applies. We read in James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So a meek person is one who will accept God's word. They may find it difficult, but they will obey because they recognize it is the word of God. They don't question it. It's Rico Tice who said, I am for what God is for and against what God is against. It's as simple as that. And so a meek person accepts that, that there are no caveats. Meekness is also evident in how you submit to God's plan. When things don't work out as you would like, how is it that you respond? Often we complain. We come up with excuses of why we deserve to be upset over that or why that's not fair. That's not meekness. God is acting in your life right now. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you think you're missing out on something that you really want. But a meek person will accept God's plan. You don't grumble. You don't complain. 
That's what it looks like to be meek before God. Meekness recognizes your humility before God. And so you obey him and you accept his plan in your life. Well, thirdly, you are to be meek before others. So you're not only to be meek before God, you are to be meek and gentle before others. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He also writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. These are great verses, verses that we need to memorize that and see how meekness is to be a characteristic of each one of us and how we interact with each other. And yet in our relationships, don't we struggle to be meek? We're afraid of being taken for granted, of being pushed over. But again, that's pride raising its ugly head. You should be humble, recognizing you don't deserve anything from those around you. That includes even their love and their respect. You should see others' interests advance ahead of your own interests. And in your meekness, you should even be willing to admit your weakness with each other. Now, we're all comfortable coming before God and admitting our weaknesses, confessing our sins. But we don't like that when others see that in ourselves. Yes, we're willing to condemn ourselves, but we're not willing for others to condemn us. And John Stott put this well. I can call myself a miserable sinner. It causes me no great problem. I can take it in my stride. But let somebody else come up to me after church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch him on the nose. In other words, I am not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I am. There is a basic hypocrisy here. There always is when meekness is absent. So you must watch out for this defensiveness. You should be able to receive criticism and rebuke where it's right and where it's appropriate and even appreciate it. You and I, we are sinners. We continue to struggle with sin. And others will see that sin. And you should appreciate when your brothers or your sisters try to help you with that. Don't let pride keep in. In your meekness, accept criticism. Meekness also means that you're strong. Yes, you have a tender conscience when it comes to seeing sin in your life, but it also means you're willing to call out sin, to call out injustice. You're willing to serve even when it's difficult. Meekness is the word used to describe a strong horse that has been brought under control. This horse can now wear a bridle. This horse, it doesn't lose its strength, but it can now use that strength, it's channeled, so that it can carry a rider or that it can pull a cart. And so when you are meek, that strength within you, it's not out of control, 
No, you are under Christ's control. You will use that strength to benefit others instead of yourself. So instead of being stubborn or hot-headed, you're now determined and forthright in your service to others. That's what it means to be meek before others. You're humble. You're not defensive. You're strong. But you use that strength to serve others. Well, fourthly, you will receive the promise of inheriting the earth. So the promise for the meek is that they will inherit the earth. It's the meek who know this blessing. That's why they are the ones who are truly happy. Those who are not meek, those who are continually striving, who are never content with what they have, who are never happy, well, they will never inherit the earth. Even just consider the little piece of land that we own, our house and our yard. It never satisfies. We want more. We want a bigger house. We want more acreage. And that's true for Israel. That's why these words from Jesus must have been so surprising. Jesus is speaking to the Jews who were filled with nationalism. They wanted a free Israel, free from the Roman domination. And so they followed those who were strong, those who would resist the Romans. And so Jesus was not the leader that they were expecting. His kingdom was not earthly, but spiritual. He was calling them to look beyond this physical land. And we can read of that in Hebrews 13. For we, here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. And so Jesus has given us a promise that the meek will inherit the earth. But it's not this world. It's something even greater greater than the state of Israel, greater than our nation. Now, every year, Belfast gets a celebrity to come and turn on the Christmas tree lights. And one year, it was President Bill Clinton. Now, before he spoke, the Lord Mayor of Belfast spoke and recounted the Christmas story of the birth of Christ. And the Lord Mayor was booed. The people did not want to hear this. They blamed religion for all the troubles. Well, Bill Clinton got up and he quoted one of the Beatitudes and the people thought this was great. But the Beatitude that he quoted is not found in the Bible. Instead, it was blessed are the peacemakers for they will inherit the earth. He or his speech writers appealed to Northern Ireland with its religious background by quoting the scriptures and yet quoting the scriptures incorrectly to appeal to the materialism that we all desire. That's not the promise that Christ is giving us here. Jesus is speaking to the meek, not the peacemakers. And the promise is that of an inheritance which would be that of the earth, which would ultimately be the new heavens and the new earth. And so the meek are not after the things that this world has to offer. No, if you're meek, you're looking forward to something even greater. But what does this promise look like in the here and now? Well, in, in many ways, we do see the meek inheriting the earth now. And it's not through military might. It's not through negotiations. It's not financial. No, God is using meekness. And this meekness is demonstrated when you trust God and when you obey God. Duguid in his commentary speaks of this in a game of David and Goliath where the adult is Goliath 
and where the child is David and the child would have a tennis ball and would throw it at the adult. But as well as throwing the tennis ball, the child would have to say, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. And only when the child did both of these things did the adult fall down. If the child simply threw the ball, the adult would remain standing. If the child simply shouted, the adult would remain standing. No, you need both for the adult to fall. Both faith and action are necessary. A meek person will recognize this. And in doing so, he will inherit the earth. And so we see examples of this. Peter gives an example of this in his letter, where the wives of unbelieving husbands may be won over to Christ without a word, but by the conduct of their wives, which he describes as the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. God uses meek wives to have an influence on their unbelieving husbands. Parents do this when they meekly hold on to the covenant promises of God and yet continue to teach their children to love God. Churches that meekly love the Lord are ones that continue and they grow and they have an influence. They're not seeking an earthly inheritance of success or notoriety from this world. No, but they are seeking an inheritance in the land to come. And so as a result, they see people coming to know the Lord. Therefore, you should want to grow in your meekness in the here and now, for God will use you in your meekness. So trust in God, but also put that trust into action so that you see your inheritance. And it won't be an increase in the size of your land, but it's seeing men and women from all over the world coming to know the Lord. Well, then finally, only Christ is truly meek. And so you find your meekness in him. The only true meek person is Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And we see Jesus demonstrate this when he entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He didn't come leading an army. He didn't come to fight. But he was saying, I am your king. But he is the meek king who did not come to fight for his own rights. No, he emptied himself of his glory by making himself of no reputation. And so before Pilate, what did he do? He was silent. He allowed himself to be beaten and mocked by the soldiers. He then was crucified on a cross. Scrivener writes, as Jesus died on the cross under the power of a brutal empire, nothing could have looked weaker. As he lay in the grave on Easter Saturday, nothing seemed more foolish than this verse. And yet on Easter Sunday, it wasn't just Jesus who was vindicated. His whole project of world domination was established. This is even seen in that the very empire that put Jesus to death, within a couple of centuries, they would recognize Jesus as Lord and God. Duguid writes, the meek one could bear any personal indignity at the hands of others, even to the point of death. He was bold concerning others, yet humble concerning himself. And so Jesus' meekness is why you inherit the earth. Being united to Christ, you are united to his meekness. 
And because Christ has done the work, in one sense, you have already inherited the earth. That's the already and the not yet. The inheritance is one you have already and one that you will receive completely. John Stott writes, the meek, although they be deprived and disenfranchised by men, yet because they know what it is to live and reign with Christ, can enjoy and even possess the earth which belongs to Christ. Then on the day of the regeneration, there will be a new heavens and a new earth for them to inherit. That's why your focus is to be on Christ. In his meekness, he was victorious. In his lowliness, he became the lamb that's now on the throne. So don't listen to this world that tells you to assert yourself or take what you can or take control. It's not true. Christ is reigning. He is ruling. And it's a result of his meekness. In him you gain the whole earth. You will have everything. So you know blessing when you have a true view of yourself, seeing yourself as both undeserving from God and man. But in the end, you will inherit the earth. And that's because Christ is the only true man of meekness. Now, this past week, Frank Borman passed away. Frank Borman was an astronaut. He was part of Apollo 8, the first space flight to orbit the moon. And from this orbit, they took this famous photo, Earthrise. It was the first time that human beings had seen the entirety of planet Earth from that kind of distance. And it made history. It was humbling for man to look at. But as well as this photo, Apollo 8 broadcasted on Christmas Day, 1968, images of planet Earth while reading Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And these men, who were the elite of America in terms of their intelligence, in terms of their bravery, but in their moment of glory, with millions of people watching from all over planet Earth, they were instead demonstrating their meekness and pointing to God the Creator. And in doing so, they did more than see the earth. They inherited the earth. So you know blessing when you have a true view of yourself, seeing yourself both as undeserving from God and man. But in the end, you inherit the earth. And that's because Christ is the only truly meek man. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we struggle with meekness. We instead are full of pride, thinking we deserve Uh, both from you and from others, recognition, love, prosperity. And so, Lord, forgive us. Instead, help us to be gentle, recognizing that you are Lord, trusting your ways and obeying your word, that we would be gentle towards others, not seeking for ourselves, but serving others with our strength and being humble, willing to take rebuke. Father, we thank you for this promise that we will inherit the earth. And we thank you for how we see that in the here and now. And we look forward to when this is completed in the future. And we thank you most importantly that we find our meekness in Jesus Christ. For he is a truly meek man, even though he is deserving. And yet he gave that up to save us. And so we give thanks for our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.
Well, please turn to Psalm 37a. Psalm 37a, Jesus is quoting from this psalm, for this psalm speaks of the meek inheriting the land. And notice the psalm is written in hostility. The psalmist is facing difficulty, and yet he chooses to be meek, and in doing so, he knows God's blessing. So let's stand and sing Psalm 37a. <laughs> 